0: Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Dan is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk Notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Dan. We are in the message series Jonathan mentioned. It's called New, and faith changes everything, and how faith turns us from self to God. Now, before we get started with that, I just want to kind of lead into the message, I guess, is uh, have you ever been in a situation where someone goes about things the wrong way, and because they go about things the wrong way, they actually make it worse than if they did nothing at all? And this takes me back to a time when I was a, a child, and we grew up, the place where I grew up My parents ended up buying kind of like a hobby farm. It was about 25 acres, and it had the the buildings from an old farm on it. And when we moved out there on these 25 acres, my dad got a couple beef cattle uh, that that we raised. And there were eight kids, and, and all of us were pretty young. I was probably about seven years old. And my dad came up with this great idea. We need to have ponies. And so my dad went and got two ponies, Dingo and Smokey. I still remember their names. And so I'm this seven-year-old kid, and all I wanted was to be close to these ponies and to pet them and and be close to them. And so they're out in the pasture, and so I would go out there and, and try to pet them. And basically what it turned into was me chasing them around 25 acres all day because they just didn't want to be close to me. That, that, the more I tried to get close to them, the, the more they would run away. And maybe you've seen that before. If you have a pet, if you have a, a dog at your house or a cat, and a, a child comes over, and they really, really, really want to pet them, and they really want to be close to your pet, and the more they go after them the more the, the pet pulls away from them. And what really drove me crazy was my dad uh, could go into that pasture and he could get those ponies to come right up to him. And I never understood why. And that's when he told me, you can't go chasing after them. That, that in your effort to get closer to them, you're actually driving them farther away. And so you need to just stand here and, and let them come To you. Other parts of life, this happens as well. Uh, The frustration if if you ever go golfing. Uh, I I don't golf very often, and and when I go, I mentally tell myself when I go, don't swing too hard, Dan. Nice and easy. Nice, easy swing. Well, then I, I hit one or two decent shots, and then I figure, well, if I'm doing that swinging easy... Imagine if I swung as hard as I could, how far I would hit it. So I grab the club tighter, swing harder, and it goes shorter and shorter every time. Then I, the ball's going to the right, okay? Going to the right, going to the right. So what do I do? I aim to the left. That makes perfect sense. But when you do that, when you golf, it makes, when you aim left, the ball goes even farther right? Or if you're someone who has a problem with it going to the, to the left, you're like, okay, I'm, I can get this. I, I'm going to try, try aiming more and more, and, and it just works the exact opposite. And so when I try to fix the problem, it just makes it worse and worse. See, Jesus ran into this with his disciples, too. And the, the problem that they had was that they, they wanted something that was good, I guess. that What they wanted was to be great in the kingdom of heaven. And, and, and so they wanted to, to, to be leaders, I guess, in the church that God would be happy with. And they got their mom involved, which maybe they should have rethought. But um, when she came and asked Jesus, this is what I'm going to ask. In, in your kingdom, you know, in your glory, can one of my sons be on your right and, and one on the left? I want them to be great in your kingdom. And, and Jesus had to tell them, you know what? Wanting to be great in the kingdom of God is not a bad thing. But the way you're going about it is the wrong way. Because being great in the kingdom of God is not about having a position. It's not about climbing over the other disciples in an effort for you to be recognized as the best of these disciples. You see, you're thinking the way the world does, where you, you, you crawl over other people and, and you get to be the boss and you get to tell them what to do. And you know what? That might be the way the world works, but not with you. Whoever wants to be first needs to be last. And and whoever wants to be great must be like this child. And that's when he, he let them in on a little secret. For even the Son of Man, even Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we see in Christ as he gave his life to make the payment for sin, as he paid the ultimate sacrifice uh, when a uh, life needed to be given, both true God and true man, when the payment needed to be made. It, it wasn't something he told someone else to do and bossed them to do it, but it's something that he did willingly. We need to understand this because as we go from self, from being self-centered and, and going from self to God, really a lot of this has to do with what you might call being successful in life, or, or, or having a, a life that God would see as, as successful, or, or when you get done with your life, that, that God would look back at it and say, this is a life that I'm, I'm pleased with, that he'll say, you did well, and and so as we look at that, having that desire for joy in life and to know that you're succeeding, that I'm telling you that I believe that's what many people here today want. But many of us, all of us, go about it the wrong way. And so today we will see how faith changes that and takes us from self to God. Before we get to James, I want to share with you a Bible account from Jesus' life very early in his ministry. And right after Jesus was baptized, which was really the start of his ministry when he was about 30 years old, we are told that he went out into the wilderness for 40 days and he was tempted by Satan. And the temptation, there were three of them. The first one, Jesus had been there for 40 days, and, and Satan tempted him. He said, You know, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus responded. He didn't do it. He responded to him and said, man does not live on bread alone. Secondly, he he took him to a high point of the temple. So if if that was today's and Levine, he would have taken them to the top of the school uh, over at that heritage and told him, you know what, if you are the son of God, jump down and because God has told you that he'll put his angels in charge of you. They'll, they'll look out for you so that you won't hurt yourself. You won't strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus responded to that. He said, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And then there was the third one. The third one where Satan took him to a high mountain and said, all of this you can see, wherever you can see, all of this you can have if you just fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, it, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Now the reason why I share this with you, this account, is because it goes into what we're talking about of going from self to God. Because one of the things that I never understood is why all of these things were wrong. Well, let's start with the first one, where the one where he bows down. You know, he he didn't bow down, but Satan said, "Bow down and worship me." I would hope that you know that's wrong that you would say, yeah, you don't fall down and worship Satan, that's like breaking the first commandment, that's just like selling your soul to the devil, there'll be hell to pay, that, that's wrong, we get that, okay, great. The second one, it might be a little mildly confusing because God does say he'll take care of, of, of us, but on some level, we understand that when we do things and, and to put God on the spot, that w- when we take unnecessary risks, that God does not promise to, to, to save us from our stupidity. Okay, so maybe we understand that. But the first one I totally didn't get. Change stones to bread. This is the same Jesus who would later take five loaves and two small fish and feed 5,000 people. So as I look at it, I'm like, so it's okay to do with fish and bread but not okay to do with a rock? I don't get it. I don't understand this. But then what I, what I came to see was all of these temptations are the same temptation. And they're the temptation to be selfish. Jesus, do something for yourself. In Matthew 4, 3 to 6, it's the first passage that we have in front of you. Notice the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, because you know what, Jesus, from where I'm standing, it doesn't look like it. Forty days without some, anything to eat, if you're, you know, if you're God, supposedly triune God, maker of heaven and earth, and you, don't, you haven't had anything to eat for 40 days, that makes no sense to me. You are not looking like God. Tell these stones to become bread. And the next one, shortly after that, if you are the son of God, he said, Throw yourself down. Can you imagine what that would have been like if Jesus was there at the temple and other people were there at the temple and he were to jump from the temple and and they were able to see him being caught by these angels and, and then set down? Well, then they would know you're the son of God, for goodness sake. Do something for yourself. Jesus, you've been living in obscurity for 30 years. As a carpenter's son, no one even knows who you are. This is something, Jesus, you can do for yourself. He will command his angels concerning you and will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. And this is what we need to understand, is that Satan's temptations to be selfish are often subtle. Very Subtle. Maybe as, as we look at them, that, that, that we look at different things like I did with, with Jesus changing the, the stone to bread, I would have been like, go for it, Jesus, whatever, I don't care, get something to eat, man. And, and, and yet, he was able to see in that, that selfishness. And here is the difficulty for us. Is, is Jesus was looking for those, and, and he was aware of that temptation for, for selfishness, that he understood that's where Satan was hiding. My question for you is, do you understand where they are hiding in your lives? Good news is James tells us. James chapter four, verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want to know where, where those, the temptations to be selfish are, the ones that, that you can spot immediately? You, you find what you are quarreling about, what you are arguing about, and what you are fighting about, and I guarantee you that in there is selfishness. That's where Satan is hiding. So I did what, what every good pastor does, I Googled quarreling and arguing and and went to see what are the things that people are quarreling and arguing about. And these specifically were ones that that related to family. And there there was a website that had 30 of them. And, And this is what they had. This is going from 30 down to one. Children, career, money, And then then this one had a number of it. This, This is my favorite. Housework. Who washed the dishes last? Who cleaned the bathroom last? Who took out the garbage last? And whose turn it is to be doing different cleaning things around the home? Next one. Toilet seat being left up or put down. Next one I found interesting. Toenail clipping and where it should be done and how the nail should be disposed of. In-laws, and, and where to go for Christmas and, and how long an in-law should be allowed to visit. Snoring, what movie to watch, what to have for dinner, old boyfriends or girlfriends, and if they give you, gave you a present and something that you use, whether you should get rid of it and every memory of them. The temperature in the house, and specifically in the bedroom, different sports teams, and if your teams play one another, who is more likable, that's an easy one, (laughs) Tanya's more likable, and then where to put things in the fridge. Are you kidding me? I, that, that as you look at the things that, quarrel, that quarrels in the fights, they are over things that, that, are, that are just, you want your way. And, and the way that you think it should be done is, is what you consider the right way. And so James goes on to say, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight you do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. I, I looked at that and I'm like, okay, so you, you don't get you want, so you kill? I'm like, oh, hold it, James. Maybe a little overstatement, okay? That, that we're not killing each other here. And then we watch the news. And we hear a story of a man who kills his wife and then himself when the kids are there. When when guys from a construction site nearby come and they try to stop him. And he is so enraged uh, that he still kills his wife and himself. It's interesting. Also, when when the Bible talks about killing, there is killing, murdering someone. But there's also, the when Jesus talks about killing and hurting, it, it, it's hurting someone when he talks about how we talk to one another, that whoever says to your brother or sister, you fool, is in the danger of the fires of hell. How we, we wanna get our way so we attack the other person. We attack them in these quarrels and arguments and they escalate and they escalate. Very rarely do I, I go to a marriage counseling uh, appointment And see a problem that I don't have in some way in my own marriage. The only difference is it's so amplified and it's so out of control uh, that that it's, it's like a wildfire that has just taken off. And there's just so much anger and hate. I was reading an article that said this about murder. It said, while police and politicians may stress crime fighting to try to lower murder rates... The studies suggest that equipping people to better handle conflict may be more effective. And and what they went on to say is, if you are murdered in the United States, chances are you're going to know who murdered you, and you're going to know why. And and it's something, it's, it's an argument over something that has just gotten more and more escalated. So you have this situation where now my, my, my selfishness, my, my desire to be happy, my desire to get what I want, the way that I do it is by attacking those who are in my way. And then, as if that weren't bad enough, as it destroys those relationships as you're constantly fighting with one another, the very last verse we don't want to miss either, and that is when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. It breaks that relationship with another person, but as you become more and more self-consumed and, and obsessed with getting what you want, that you, you finally break down and say, God, this is what I want. Give me what I want. That God also says you, because he loves you, no. You are so self-centered, so, so consumed that it breaks relationships with each other and God. In the blank, you can write, the result of self-worship is broken relationships with God and one another. So in an effort to get what we want it actually makes it worse than if we did nothing at all. You think it can't get much worse? It does. And that's because now that we're not getting what we want in our relationship with with God or other people, we're gonna step outside of those relationships and, and get it from somewhere else. James 4 says, you adulterous people, Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? And I'm going to give you that fill in right away. When in a relationship with God, we cannot be dating the world. When in a relationship with God, we cannot be dating the world. So, so you see what's happening here is we have this relationship with God, right? And when we're praying and not getting what we want, now we turn towards self. That, that self, it, it's taking the, the step that if God's not going to give it to me, I'm going to get it from someone else, from somewhere else. And so we go out in the world and, and now we, we, we are going to find it. I start thinking about this in, in terms to try to understand the way that we are, and it would be like if if one of my daughters told me, yeah, dad, I've, I'm dating a guy, we've been dating for six months now, and, and I would say, well, I've never met him, and he's never come by the house, and they would say, well, the relationship is a little bit complicated, he calls me whenever he wants um, maybe me to come over or something like that, and so... The, the arrangement we have is, he can call me, but I really can't call him. And, and, and he's not 100% sure in our relationship, so he occasionally goes out with other girls, and he tells me it actually makes our relationship stronger, because that way he knows that, that uh, what we have is what he wants, or, or if it's not, well, that way we'll know. And I would say, you know what? Next time he calls, why don't you give me the phone? Why, let, let, let dad talk to him for a little bit about uh, a relationship that we're going to have. And, and next time he stops by the house, send him into my office. We're going we're gonna to have a little man to man talk uh, about a, a relationship. And by the way, you're not allowed to see him again. That's the, that's the way this is going to go down. Because you, you look at that and you say, that's not a relationship. That's being used, trying to be used for whatever you can give while still getting something from someone else. And that is the way that self goes. And notice how how God calls it what it is, an adulterous relationship. You say you're in a relationship with me, but as you try to get what you want yourself, it is not that. It is cheating on me. It is unfaithfulness in our relationship. And so what is God's answer? James 4, verse 6, my favorite verse of this section. But he gives us more grace. Not the way I would have seen it. Not the way dad's going to handle it. Have, have, that, have that boyfriend of yours come in so dad can talk to him about grace and love. Have him come in so I, so I can embrace him. And tell him how happy I am for him to be part of our family. This grace is so counterintuitive. And and instead of being a self-centered, it takes our attention towards God and his greatness and his love. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud. But shows favor to the humble. And another passage that, that with the same common th- thread and theme is from Hosea, chapter 14, verse four. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely for my anger has turned away from them. Fill in that blank right away too. God's answer to the battle with self is grace and lots of it. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read the book of Hosea. It's in the Old Testament. He's one of the, what's called one of the minor prophets, a shorter book. But God in, in his desire to show grace and mercy used an object lesson with the prophet Hosea, one that I wouldn't have used and one as, as a pastor I would not want to have to do. And what God told Hosea to do was to marry a prostitute. And he said, marry a prostitute because you know what? When when I'm dealing with these children, these children of Israel, it's like being married to a prostitute. So Hosea married the prostitute, and she continued being a prostitute. And then, she had children. And then the question came: Whose children are they? Uh, Are they are they my people? Is is this my child, or is this someone else's child? And, and this adulterous relationship went on for a while. Hosea continued to be faithful to her, continued to love her, and then finally one day she left, that, that she had enough of that relationship and she left. So Hosea is left heartbroken, hurt. All that he wanted to do was to, was to love her, to give her a, a better life, and, and for the two of them to be close. And after a period of time, we're told that Hosea saw her again. And this time she was on a trading block as a slave. Evidently in her her life of prostitution, as she continued, I don't know if she wasn't able to make the money that she used to or whatever it was, but she was in a a situation where where someone had taken ownership of her as a slave. And as Hosea saw her, the, the Lord spoke to him and said, Hosea, Go buy her. Buy her back and bring her back to your house. Hosea, show her more grace. That is the way that you will change your heart and and that is the way that God has chosen to change our hearts as well. And that's the thing about Jesus making the payment on the cross. And and so we see Jesus, and and this is one of those where I started with with the temptation of Jesus and and how he recognized those temptations and he, he foiled those temptations and remained perfect. Understand that as Jesus was doing that, he was doing that in your place. That is what we talk about when Jesus is a substitute, why he needed to live the perfect life and then die on the cross to give that perfect life to you, that as we see Jesus fighting temptation perfectly and living perfectly before God, he did that so when God looks at your life, that is what God sees. And the times that we have fallen to the temptation to be selfish, when we have been adulterous in our relationship with God, that is what Jesus took to the cross. That is why Jesus suffered separation from God in hell itself for you, for me, so that he could give us more grace and change our hearts of stone. That's some heavy stuff. And and James points, it's the center of, of what this is about. So now, having experienced this grace, Having, having stood there and, and receiving it, how do we respond? And that takes us to the next verses of James, James 4, 7 to 10. In these verses, there's actually 10, 10 verbs that are used to show now how experiencing grace, how my life is going to change. And he says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you, come near to God and he will come near to you, Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. I've taken those 10, and I've condensed them down to to just a few. And, And in the blank, you can see my new response to grace will be to turn from self to God. No longer am I going to rely on myself for for fixing this or, or rely on myself for getting my own way or rely on myself for making it right. I'm going to trust Jesus for that. So from grace, we go from self to God. And then four things that I have there. Submit to God, first one. Second one is resist the devil. Number three, keep my hands and heart free from sin. And then finally, humble myself. Now, as we look at that, I just want to comment on, on these for a moment because really what happens is, is when there's a, re, a change in my relationship. Uh, there's going to be, when I experience this grace, there's going to be a change in my relationship with God. There's going to be a change in my relationship with Satan. There's going to be a change in my relationship with sin. And there's really going to be a change in, in relationship with myself. And so that's the first one, is that the first is my relationship with God, that I'm going to submit to Him. and. That word submit is a very interesting one. It's actually a a military-type term where where someone would fall in behind a leader. And and so when I submit that I fall in, that that I accept the leadership of of someone who's over me. And what's interesting about that is in the military, that that is what you do, that, that you submit in that way. And what's amazing is how many people willingly do that. That, that they go in and they join the, the armed forces. And they go to a, a boot camp where they learn that even more clearly. And, and the reason why they do that is because they, they believe in the cause. That, that as they submit, there's also a trust in, in the leader. There's also, they recognize that when a bunch of individuals submit together that they're able to go from a bunch of individuals to one unit that allows them to do things together that they would never have been uh, able to do by themselves. And then finally, uh, another part of that is it keeps them alive. That, that they recognize that as they submit that, to their leaders that, that it's going to be good for them. Uh, just like in the fourth commandment when we say honor your, your father and mother, there's a, there's a part of submission there. And why is that? That it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life in the earth. on the earth. And so what we see is this, is when I submit, the reason why I do it, I realize there's great benefit by trusting that person. And so that is the relationship we have with a God who has shown us so much grace and so much love that to trust them and submit ourselves to them We know that Christ, that our God wants to give us only the best. So what I need you to get out of your head is ultimate fighter submission holds where you have to tap out. That is not the type of submission God wants to have. Sometimes maybe I feel that way when I'm fighting against him and and losing, thank God. But that's not the submission we're talking about. This is a willful submission, a wanting to do this. The next one is as we face Satan, as we face these temptations, that we're able to recognize them. When I, when I grew up in that farmhouse, it was a big farmhouse, and I remember uh, we used to play hide and seek in the basement, and there were a bunch of like nooks and crannies and different places where you could go. But after you play hide and seek in the same basement for a while, you know the spots, Right? That, that you know where the, most of the time where they're going to hide and where people can fit. And, and with Satan, it's the same way. We've already identified the quarrels and the arguments in, in which selfishness hides. And the way we resist Satan is when we identify those hiding spots. And when we do that, notice Satan runs away, uh, that, that, that we are able to fight and resist those temptations. The next one, keeping your hands and heart free from sin. That there's washing those hands and purifying and washing that heart. That's something we do as we confess our sins, as we come before the Lord, as we do every week, that I pray that you do every day, starting your day. Lord, please forgive me for, for the sins that I've committed. As you end your day the same way, turning to him for forgiveness. And then finally, humbling myself. Asking, Lord, help me see those areas where, where I have been, when I have been proud, where I have been selfish, where I've gone this way, when i have taken matters into my own hand instead of relying on you. And don't miss the very last words of those verses. And he will lift you up. So instead of thinking you have to climb your way to the top, and instead of thinking you have to build yourself up, because if you don't, no one else is going to, that God's promise is that by denial of self, humbling of self, confession of sins, He will lift you up. The final thing we have is a change in our relationship with one another. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Don't say bad things about each other. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? I'm going to take the other verse with it because I think it helps explain it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. That, that when it talks about slandering and, uh, and also the, being like the, the judge and, and jury What that does is that is also a way, just so you realize that the temptation is to put yourself over someone. That when you do that, it's kind of a way of saying, I'm better than you, Uh, I'm the boss of you, you need to listen to me. And there's a right way to do that and there's a wrong way to do that. The way that I would describe it is if I was driving with my brother, he was driving, I was riding, and we're going down an interstate where it was 75 miles an hour and it went down to 55, and he kept driving 75, that I would say to him, hey, man, just want you to know, I don't know if you saw the speed limit went down to 55, and I would hate to see you get a ticket. Uh, you know, So I, I would suggest that you, you might want to just slow down so you don't get caught doing that. Now, there's a difference between doing that and, and warning someone and, and deciding when I look over at the speedometer, hey, I'm making a citizen's arrest. And so I handcuff one hand of his uh, to his wrist, his wrist and the other one I handcuff to the steering wheel of the car and then I tell him, pull the car over immediately because I am going to give you a citation that you can pay to me. Uh, $400 for speeding, you've been busted. And, and, and see what that makes me? Do you see how that's a little bit different uh, type of uh, a scenario? And that's what the Lord is telling us, too, that as we have a relationship with one another, that I don't look at you as someone I need to climb over in order to feel better about myself. I don't need to lift myself up over you with the slander when I look at the wrong that you do and then I tell other people. Why do we do that? We do that because it makes me look better. That is why. We don't need to do that. We don't need to share everyone else's dirt Uh, so that we feel better about ourselves. But possibly, maybe just possibly, in our relationships with others, that we could give more grace. (laughs) No matter what it is that has gone on, no matter how we've been hurt, to get that selfish peace out of there and trust God not only to lift us up, but also trust God to lift them up as well. In the blank, you can write, My new response to grace, I love that, my new response to grace turns me from self to others. We are to build each other up and not tear each other down. There is a reason why you're here today. And for each person, it's probably just a little bit different of something that by virtue of coming and hearing God's word, what you want. Many people came to Jesus and all of them that they would come to him and they would have a request. And what's interesting about that is Jesus gave each one of those people then what they needed that restored relationship with God, pointing them to to the forgiveness of sins, pointing them to God's love, pointing them to grace and giving them more grace. And it's my prayer that as we have gone through this James chapter four, just one that I've enjoyed going through this week, that you will also have that to be able to see that maybe the way that you've been going about it, trying to get the things that you want, is exactly the wrong way. That, that maybe it's, it's a way that relies on self and, and, and at the heart of it is selfish. And that you would turn from self to God. And I want to share with you the final verse from James 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, in our lives, selfishness hides behind so many different rocks and so many different corners of our lives that it is everywhere, that temptation to be selfish. And, and when we, we fall into those temptations, it leads to the broken relationships and it, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and we make it worse and worse. We thank you that, that in those situations that you give us more grace that, that you forgive us for those things, that, that you love us back into a relationship with you. And now, Lord, as we go through our lives, may we enjoy that grace. May, may we bathe in it every day of your love for us. And then may we share it as we look at those quarrels and the fights and, and the frustrations we have in life. Lord, help us to turn to you and trust you to lift us up. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now some closing thoughts from Pastor Dan. This week, as I've had an opportunity to spend time with this lesson from James 4, one of the things that I noticed is, is that with the quarrels and arguments and selfishness, I really realized how selfish I am. And, and I think the reason why is because in most of those quarrels and arguments, I think I'm right. And, and that right gives me the, the right to be selfish. And it doesn't. And and so what I really, the two, the two verses I, I went back and forth with, with the memorization verses is, Either, but you give us more grace, but he gives us more grace, and to humble yourselves and and trust the Lord to lift you up. And I think both of those truths, uh, God giving you more grace and God lifting you up, are the keys to to be able to go from self to to God and, and trust him to do that. And as you go now, go with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Lord, look on you with favor and give you his peace. Amen.